From Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes. We break down the big political news affecting Wisconsin. I'm Ayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of wispolitics.com. He provides a roundup of what you need to know this midterm election year. Here's our conversation. Hi, J.R. Good to chat with you as always. Oh, how's it going today? It's pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, so checking in on the big midterm races, we've got the Marquette Law School poll that came out last week. It showed Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes ahead of incumbent Republican Senator Ron Johnson and incumbent Democrat Governor Evers and conservative businessman Tim Michaels in a, in a really tight race. How have the campaigns been reacting to that in the days since? Well, obviously the, the Barnes and Michaels campaign are want to play those up. You know, those are good signs. More likely what you're seeing is the traditional bounce that candidates get out of a, a primary win. This poll went in the field the day after Barnes won the, G, the Democratic nomination officially and Michaels beat Rebecca Clayfish for the GOP nod. So that probably helped a bit. You know, interesting to note that even though Evers and Barnes served together as governor, lieutenant governor, Barnes is in better shape. And what's driving that is he has a 14-point advantage with independence compared to a four-point edge for Evers. Now, it's early. It's still you know mid-August. What I expect to see in the next couple of months is an ad campaign from Ron Johnson and his supporters trying to tear down Mandela Barnes because 41% of voters didn't have an opinion of him or either didn't have one, didn't have enough information for one or didn't know. And I expect Tony Evers and his supporters to go after Tim Michaels because about a third of the electorate didn't have an opinion of him, right? So one of the paths for an incumbent, if you have okay or, like Johnson, not great poll numbers, is you tear down your opponent. Uh, in this latest poll, Johnson was upside down on his favorable, unfavorable ratings by nine points. That's not a great place to be, less than three months out from elections. So your path to victory is often to tear down the other person and make him or her seem unpalatable. Inflation is a big issue, you know, as we see around the country and in Wisconsin and the Marquette poll showed that both Barnes and Johnson say they want to address inflation with tax cuts. Barnes would cut taxes for the middle class. Johnson says he'd support small business tax cuts. How much of a role do you think inflation is going to play in this race in the next few months over things like crime and abortion? And how much of a blame game will there be on that issue against the other candidate? Well, I'll tell you what, if gas is five bucks a gallon in late October, I know where I'd bet my mortgage payment on which party's going to win in November. If it's three bucks a gallon, I think Democrats have a pretty good shot. You know, in talking to insiders around the Capitol, they see that really as something that drives the perception of voters about where things are at, right? How much you pay at the pump. Like uh, prices for groceries are probably not going to go down in the next 90 days significantly, but where those gas prices are, that could change things. We're also, you know, seeing signs for Democrats that the environment is getting better. Now, again, it is early. There's a lot of time between now and November. But you add up gas prices going down. We saw a special election for a House seat in Minnesota, August 9th, that was a 10-point Trump win in that seat back in 2020. The Republican won by four points. Now, not a huge shift, but still significant one. We saw the vote in Kansas about deep red Kansas rejecting an effort to allow lawmakers to enact more abortion restrictions. These are just like little pieces of the puzzle that you kind of go, okay, Democrats are a little bit better shape than they were. But what if gas goes back up? What if it's 4.75 a gallon in late October? I mean, those are things that you, know, you just can't control. 
that they could have a huge influence about who wins in November because it impacts how people feel about their pocketbook. Well, and another wild card in the uh, Wisconsin governor's race is, you know, a lot of people probably know it's Evers versus Michaels with the Democrats and Republicans, but there's an independent in the race now, Joan Beglinger. What do we know about her and how will that affect things that she's in that race? She's a nurse from uh, Cross Plains, which is in Dane County. You read her platform and aligns with uh, supporters of Donald Trump on a lot of issues. If you go back, look at the August 2016 Marquette poll in the governor's race, the Libertarian candidate got 6% in that poll. He got less than 1% of the vote come November. Oftentimes, this early in the race, we see something like that. It's because people maybe are going, I wish I had an alternative to these two. But push comes to shove, they're not going to know that alternative come November because we don't think she'll have a whole lot of resources to communicate to voters. Now, things may change, right? But my guess is that from talking to people is that that's just a reflection of some voters wishing there was another option and that as this race progresses, the people who are with her will go somewhere else. Charles Franklin, for example, noted that in the June poll that had Evers, I think, 48-41, about 12% electorate uh, didn't have a preference or for those two. About 12% in this one didn't have a preference for those two. Of those, 7% went to her. So you're basically kind of can surmise from that it's probably more of a, not really because of her, but because of the other two options they have that that vote went toward her. Okay, well, looking at another race where people potentially have other options, that's Assembly Speaker Robin Voss's re-election bid. It looks like his far-right Trump-backed primary challenger, Adam Steen, is not leaving the race, but is instead waging a campaign as a write-in candidate. Can you give us a rundown on how that primary got so close and where what are you expecting with this write-in campaign? You know, in talking to people ahead of that primary, they thought it'd be a 55-45 race and that Voss would survive, but it would be closer than he would have liked. The fact it was 260 votes really caught people's attention. And there are a couple of reasons that they threw out there to me about why it was so close. One, if you look at Racine County, it is kind of uh, a hotbed of activity. It was like the focal point for the Tea Party movement in 2010, really kind of grew out of there. Uh, there's this group called Hot Government, Honest, Open, Transparent Government. They've really been pushing the whole idea that the 2020 election was stolen. They're very active in Racine County. Um, there's just a number of factors like that that probably provided some fuel. And then Donald Trump lit the, you know, threw the spark on the fuel. I mean, he endorsed Steen. That has some legs. And when you are a longtime leader like Robin Voss is, you make a lot of decisions that are maybe good for your caucus, but maybe not good for you back home or irritate a part of the base. Robin Voss is not terribly popular with segments of the GOP base, and you add it all up, and that's probably what drove what happened. Now, uh, what I'm interested in is what does Steen mount for a real campaign between now and November? Under state law, uh, writing candidates must uh, register with the state by the Friday before an election. That way the clerks will look for, you know, your votes and tally them up and not just toss them in the category of scattering. Um, I have not seen a writing campaign in Wisconsin be very successful, not recently, not in this kind of a scale, but we'll see, you know. Um, the question is, does Donald Trump keep getting involved? Does he keep pushing Adam Steen between now and November? You know, Trump is not a big fan of people who in his mind are quote-unquote losers, Steen lost once. Would Trump put his weight behind Steen again after that last loss and really promote him between now and November? 
I see. Okay, so sticking with the Republican legislature, more than 20 GOP state lawmakers, including Voss and Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahue, came to Milwaukee last week to meet with Milwaukee city leaders about the city and the county's impending financial crises. So basically, like pension spending in Milwaukee is expected to drastically rise, potentially at the expense of some city services. And the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports that some lawmakers who were at that event between Milwaukee leaders and state leaders said that there was a focus on the, the RNC coming, the convention, and that the, that the rapport was very good. Is this cooperation just a pre-election show, and will it still be there after November, and at what price for Milwaukee? Well, you know, look, look, Milwaukee is the biggest city of the state. It drives a lot of things. People will tell you from in the legislature that Milwaukee has to succeed for Wisconsin to succeed. That said, one of the big priorities for Milwaukee officials has been a local sales tax, for example, to help fund services. Republicans are almost surely going to control the legislature after November's elections. They have been loath to raise taxes. So there would have to be a huge sell job, and I mean a huge sell job, to get Republicans to go along with the local sales tax or local income tax or local whatever tax you want, special for Milwaukee County and the city, that others don't have available to them. There's already a half-cent sales tax that you can do as a county. Uh, it's going to be a tough sell to get Republican lawmakers to go along with any kind of tax increases for anybody, period, let alone local government. Okay, so another connection to the GOP-led legislature. There's the election probe. There were some developments in the past week. Specifically, Voss fired conservative former state Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, who was leading the probe. Voss said that it became clear that Gableman was, quote, looking for something else besides the truth in the probe when he pushed decertification of the election in public but rejected it in private. Is that the fatal blow to this probe, which opponents have said has been doomed from the start? And do you expect this to negatively impact Republicans in any way? It's the end of the probe. It's not the end of the cost, though. So Robin Voss told us this past Tuesday, uh, a little gaggle with reporters, that he began to lose faith in Gableman this spring. Um, there was a report that Gableman presented to an assembly committee in March, which included a section on decertification. The draft report that he gave to Robin Voss uh, did not include that section. So you don't tell your boss you're going to talk about that. You talk about it, and then you write Voss a, a memo a couple weeks later saying, oh, by the way, that's not really an option. That's a problem. So, you know, this was a long time coming. The last straw was really Gableman endorsing Adam Steen against Voss in the primary. Um, I got a copy of a robocall that Gableman did for Steen saying that, Robin Voss never wanted a quote-unquote real investigation of the 2020 election, that all the things given found were in spite of Robin, not because of him. That's not really a great thing to do if you want to keep your boss happy, right? And ultimately, Robin was his boss. He hired him to do this investigation. Now, even though Gableman is no longer employed by the state, there are six lawsuits that are active in circuit courts that kind of come from the probe. Four of them are open records lawsuits. Um, we had one this week where... A judge fined the Office of Special Counsel $24,000 for the days he believed that Gableman was in contempt of an order to do a thorough search for records related to his probe. We have three more lawsuits out there. There have been uh, attorney's fees awarded, some of them. We are awaiting more bills to come in uh, from what Gableman spent. We last 
I saw in June he was already past $1 million between the actual cost of the probe and the legal bills. Those legal bills were going to mount. Now what we're going to watch, though, is the legal fees awarded have been about $260,000 to date, the twenty-four grand in you know in contempt charges. All these cases are going on appeal or have been appealed uh, so far. So taxpayers, we build more money to appeal those cases, but those appeals could overturn those large awards for attorney's fees. So the fight goes on and the probe is over. So part of that probe resulted in Gableman filing a lawsuit to force the mayors of Green Bay and Madison to give a private deposition at his office. He was trying to do that. And on the flip side, there was a lawsuit by Democratic Attorney General Josh Call to prevent Gableman from interviewing Megan Wolf, who's the administrator of the Wisconsin Elections Commission, in private. Have there been any developments on that front, on those lawsuits? Yeah, Robin told us last week that he was likely going to drop those efforts, but he wanted to talk to attorneys first. Um, we saw a letter on Friday from a lawyer for the Office of Special Counsel to the judge in the Waukesha County case saying, look, even though there's no more special counsel, i.e. Michael Gableman, there's still an Office of Special Counsel. Therefore, his firing does not impact the subpoenas he issued. At the same time, you know that letter that Voss's intention is to conclude the investigation uh, that resulted in the subpoenas. That letter also notes the second case in Dane County and Bay said, look, Robin, lawyers are all talking. They'll figure out the next steps and ultimately what to do, if anything, regarding the subpoenas. I see. So, so in some, they are not going forward? It sounds like they're saying, hey, we have the option to go forward, but we're talking about our options first for making a decision. So I think the ultimate thing for Robin Voss is to bring us to a close and be done with it. I see. So it's in Republicans' hands. Yep. All right. Thanks for breaking it all down, JR. And thank you for joining me on Capital Notes, as always. Anytime. Have a great day. That was J.R. Ross of WISPolitics.com speaking with me, WUWM's Mayan Silver. Listen for our segments every Monday with an extended segment on Lake Effect and check out the Capital Notes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.